Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. podcast i'm your host jerry me and it's just me this week pat uh had some last minute stuff come up uh so he unfortunately wasn't able to join us tonight and uh this was just going to be a me and pat episode we didn't really have any guest plans but instead of just canceling this week and throwing a rerun at you guys i still wanted to get you guys a great show so we're going to do a bit of a solo cast today. Uh, we're going to do some mailbag. We're going to take a look at the top eights of the Legacy Challenge uh, as the format develops and just have a good time. So don't worry, Pat will be back next week bright and early, uh, but this week it's just uh, you and me, a little personal session. So, up first, I kind of wanted to take this opportunity to dive into the Leaving Legs mailbag and answer some of the questions you guys have sent in uh, that we haven't had a chance to get to on our previous episodes. So, up first, uh, we have, is there any chance of an LAL Open in Europe? Uh, I would love to do an LAL Open in Europe. Um, I had an amazing time at Barcelona uh, when I went there. I'd love to explore more of Europe. Uh, Honestly, I'm all for it. I'm sure Pat is too. Uh, Basically what it comes down to, guys, is kind of TO uh, partners. Uh, You know, we're really fortunate to partner with Gaming Etc. here in Massachusetts to do the uh, Massachusetts LAL Opens. They have the play space uh, and, you know, the the support staff needed in order to get an event like this pulled off. So uh, Pat and I would love to do LALs, uh, you know, around the country and in other countries. Uh, But basically what it comes down to is finding a partner in the local area that we can, uh, you know, make it happen. So if anyone is interested in uh, bringing the LAL uh, overseas, get at us. Uh, Up next, you know, couldn't go, couldn't go too long without a joke question. We have, is pineapple a viable pizza topping? I feel we're trying to start a new uh, meme debate in the group. And I got to say, in my younger years, I would have vehemently denied pineapple as a pizza topping. You know, cheese and pineapple, it just doesn't mix. But as I age and my palate refines, uh, I'm going to have to go with yes on this now. I have crossed the lines and switched sides, uh, mostly due to my experience with uh, pineapple barbecue shish kebabs. You know, nothing's better than some shrimp, kielbasa, and pineapple on the grill. Uh, I feel that is the gateway drug to finally getting people to accept pineapple uh, as a savory dish. So, yeah, I'm going to go definitively. Pineapple on pizza is a yes. Hot dog is a sandwich. And always make sure to wash your cast iron pans with soap. Up next, uh, if you had to play a deck in Modern, what deck would you play? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I had Modern Storm 
put together uh, for a long time. Uh, I've had it for a couple of years, though. I only played a couple modern events with it. Um, so I did play Storm for a while, but now I would say after Modern Horizons, uh, Enchantress looks really good at Modern. I've, I've always been an Enchantress fan. Uh, I think the deck's super cool, and it is kind of sad that it's just not quite good enough uh, for Legacy anymore. Basically, ever since Abrupt Decay got printed, uh, Enchantress was not really a viable option. Um, so it was sad seeing it leave Legacy, but with Modern Horizons 2, we got a ton of printings of the key pieces needed for Enchantress that were missing from Modern, and I'm pretty excited to see what uh, Enchantress can do in the Modern Seed. I think it's, uh, it's a sweet deck, and I'm, I'm really glad to see it get uh, new life in a new format. So if I were forced to you know play Modern for a Pro Tour or something like that, I think I would honestly play Enchantress, you know, just have a little bit of fun with it. Up next, uh, we have what cards do you think could slash should be unbanned given the state of the format? Uh, so the answer to this is always going to be Earthcraft. Uh, it is absolutely absurd that Earthcraft is still on the banned and restricted list. Uh, it was banned because it was part of a two-card combo uh, with Squirrel Nest, which basically made infinite 1-1 Squirrel tokens that were tapped and didn't have haste. They, or actually, they weren't tapped, but still, they, they did not have hit haste, so you still had to pass the turn uh, and allow your opponent a turn to recover, or you had to have some way to, to give those squirrels haste in order to win the game. So... The fact that Earthcraft is banned for a two-card combo that <laughs> honestly isn't even that good in Legacy these days is kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, there are much more powerful, more potent uh, two-card combos in Legacy uh, that just weren't around when Earthcraft was banned. I think it is pretty darn safe to unban Earthcraft at this point. So, free the Earthcrafts. Uh, we need them, though. I think if they ever did unban Earthcraft, it would just be insane for the market because uh, it is a reserve list card and it's over $120 now. I was taking a look at them the other day. For, uh, I was pricing one out for my cube and uh, it prices have gotten insane on it. So they might not be able to ever unban Earthcraft because it would just instantly go to a $1,000 card overnight. And... No one wants to unban a card in Legacy only for it to be, you know, basically have a soft ban because no one can afford it. So that's my pick for the unbans. Uh, up next, we got if either of you had to pick new decks to play, uh, what would you pick and why? So good question. I mean, I can honestly got I've gotten to the point in my magic career where I can play most decks that I want to play. Um, both in paper and especially on Magic Online, because with the introduction of, you know, rental services, I, I basically can play any deck I want at any given time. So uh, I've, I've been trying a, a few different things out, but as far as like picking a new identity deck, which I think is what this question is really asking, you know, if I had to pick a new deck to be my identity in Legacy, uh, I would probably pick something um, like more more on the fun side, like Slivers, <laughs> something like that. Uh, I've kind of reached the point in my Magic career where 
I don't really care about winning as much anymore or, uh, you know, top eighting or getting on the pro tour or anything like that. Now I'm just mostly in it for the shits and giggles. So if I was going to choose a deck to be my, you know, my deck in the format, I would kind of play a joke deck like, uh, you know, slivers or, um, you know, uh, fates, fate untold, uh, or, uh, fates foretold, you know, something like that. That's just kind of more fun to play, regardless of how good it actually is. Uh, our next question is actually a question we get a lot. People ask this all the time. It's kind of tapered off over the last couple of years. I think finally the story has gotten around, but uh, that people want to know what is the leaving a legacy logo. So with the logo. Uh, it's actually a yin-yang sign um, of a angel's wing and a devil's horn. So next time you take a look at the logo, uh, you can kind of see uh, it, it has the, the shape of the yin-yang. On the left-hand side is the devil's horn, and on the right-hand side is the angel's wing. Um, we actually had it designed by a friend of mine uh, from college back in the day uh, who's a professional artist, and he had never played Magic before, didn't really know what Magic was, but I basically just sent him a bunch of card images of some of our favorite cards, one of them obviously being Grizzlebrand, uh, and he kind of took that as inspiration and designed the logo that we've been using for the last six years. Uh, at this point, it's almost become like uh, <laughs> like the artist formerly known as Prince type deal, where I don't even see it as it's as you know it's what it is anymore. It's more just like a representation of the podcast more than anything else. It is it's kind of transcended what it actually looks like in my mind to the point where I almost just don't even see it. I just associate it with the podcast. Uh, what deck do you think is the most underrated? Uh, I mean, I think that's going to change from week to week with Legacy. There's always going to be uh, underrated decks that, you know, more people uh, could play or more people should play. Uh, I think the flavor of the week right now is Affinity. I think Affinity has, uh, you know, not had much love over the last couple of years. And kind of the additions that we've gotten with Modern Horizons have really pushed that deck to uh, a whole new height where it has a potential of coming back and being, uh, you know, possibly even a tier one deck. So uh, for underrated decks right now, I'm definitely going to go with Affinity. I'm really excited to see what it what it has in store for us in the meta. So up next we have, what are you most looking forward to about getting back into paper play? Uh, I think that for sure is the people. I mean, I'm at this point in playing Legacy where when I started playing and I was trying to better myself, you know, I kind of set this this Everest goal of getting on the Pro Tour. And, you know, that was a goal that I set for myself, never really actually intending to fulfill. You know, I, I don't know if you guys do this too, but... When I'm trying to set a goal, I kind of do a, you know, a shoot for the moon type uh, type goal where I set a really high expectation of myself and that becomes kind of my driving force uh, to get better at it uh, and not really ever expecting to do it, but it's just something to shoot for and stay motivated with. Uh, so that's why I was actually really surprised uh, back in 2019 uh, when at GP Niagara, when I ended up top baiting that and getting on, 
uh, the Pro Tour, that uh, I didn't really have a goal anymore. Uh, you know, it, it it's it's hard to explain, but it, it kind of feels like a bit of the passion uh, goes away once you you've achieved that. It's like beating the final boss on a game and kind of being a little bittersweet about it because you're done with it. You know, you've done what you came to do and sure you can go back and you can replay it, but it's, it's never the same as it was the first time. So because of that, my, my attitude to the game has really changed a lot over the last, uh, you know, two years. Um, it was hard uh, with COVID to, to really recognize it just because everything ground to a stop. But even if COVID never happened, we didn't have lockdowns, uh, you know, we we're still playing paper play. Uh, I do feel like uh, I would not be as competitive as I used to be. I wouldn't really be going to events looking to top eight them or to do well. Really, at this point now, Magic and Legacy in particular is more of a social game to be more than anything else. And honestly, it feels like that's the direction Wizard has been going in anyways. Uh, You know, I'm actually kind of glad things turned out the way they did because, you know, if the opposite had happened and I instead took this, uh, you know, top eight of GP as my, you know, reaffirming uh, sign that I can, you know, make something of this, maybe take Magic Pro... Uh, I would have been very, very disappointed in the in the year to come, not just because of COVID, but also just because of how Wizards of the Coast is uh, uh, is approaching Magic these days. You know, they've they've pretty much gutted the pro player uh, rewards. Uh, you know, high level uh, tournament play uh, is coming to an end. Even before COVID, people people forget this, but GPS and Magic Fests or whatever, what have you, um, those were on the. It's pretty serious downswing even before COVID happened. COVID was just kind of the nail in the coffin that finished them off. And that's why I'm not really surprised we haven't seen much uh, announcements from Wizards of the Coast uh, about bringing back these these high-level, large-scale tournaments because I honestly think it's not the direction Wizard wants to go in anymore. Um, you know, they're really not focused on the competitive side of magic anymore it it feels like now i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing people are going to have different opinions on it but uh i feel legacy players in particular and also vintage players are probably more prepared for this than anyone else because that's the way it's felt for legacy for a long long time it's just now that modern and standard players are kind of waking up and finding out they're in the same boat with us so uh, you know, when it comes to getting excited about Magic these days, I can't get excited about the same things I used to. I can't really get excited about being, uh, you know, a competitive player and, you know, winning tournaments or top eighting tournaments or qualifying for events. Uh, now it really just, it has to be about the people. And I think that's okay. Uh, I, I'm going to give credit to uh, our friend Adam Wallace. He pointed this out to me, you know, years ago that... Legacy's not a competitive format anymore. It's it's a social format, and if we really want to survive as a community, I think we we have to be okay with that. And yes, we're going to lose the hyper competitive people along the way, and and that's okay. But it's just not a state that Legacy can survive in anymore. Uh, we we really do have to, you know, embrace the grassroots nature of Legacy, 
and realize that legacy is less about the game and more about the community at this standpoint. And, you know, I think that's kind of beautiful about the game. Uh, it's, it's really what has kept me playing this game because if it wasn't for the podcast and if it wasn't for the, the podcast community, uh, that's kind of sprung up around it, there's no way in hell I'd still be playing magic. Um, you know, everything kind of comes and goes in waves and I've, I've kind of, uh, learned this about myself over the years with my hobbies in that, uh, I get really into a hobby, get really excited about it. And then it starts to kind of peter off and it loses excitement. And then I kind of stop the hobby entirely. I move on to other things. And then a couple years later, something will remind me about that hobby and I'll come back with a whole rekindled, uh, passion for the hobby again. You know, this happened to me with magic already. You know, at first I got into magic really heavily in middle school and high school. Then I got into college and it petered out and died off. And then I came back to legacy and, uh, you know, got really into, uh, it with, you know, getting into tournaments and then the podcast and exploding from there. And I'm already well past the point of, uh, you know, my passion for the game dying off. You know, I'm not, I, I don't carry a notebook around with me everymore with deck ideas. I'm not scratching out uh, different combos that I come across. I'm not spending my free time browsing TCG player, checking out prices and price trends. You know, I just, I choose to spend my free time in other ways that now. And that's okay. I mean, I don't think it's possible for anyone to have a driving commitment to the game that hard long term because everyone burns out um but for me now legacy is less about the game and more about the community and so i can't really put it aside like i would if i didn't have the podcast i i can't really let it rest and uh kind of gather a layer of dust on it so that i'll get re-excited about it a few years from now um, you know, for all I know, if I wasn't doing the podcast, I probably already would have quit Legacy a few years ago, and now maybe I would be coming back with a renewed vigor and uh, be all about the format again. But I don't really want to do that anymore because at this point, like I've said, it's less about the game itself and it's more about the people. Uh, you know, a large group of my friend group is really into the game. Uh, you know, a lot of people that I talk to on a daily basis are people... Uh, that I've met uh, through the game. And while if I stopped playing the game, I don't think I would lose a lot of those interactions. But at the same time, it's just it's one less thing to talk about. Uh, for our younger listeners out there, one thing that you're going to learn as you get older is it's hard to just find things to talk about sometimes with your old friends. You know, you're still friends, you still want to hang out, but your interests diverge, you kind of go off in different areas, and... You know, next thing you know, you guys don't have anything in common anymore. And for me and a lot of my friends, magic is that common link that we have that keeps us together. You know, it's an excuse to hang out. It's like, hey, come on over. Let's let's jam some games and have a barbecue. Uh, you know, let's. Oh, did you see this card? You know, let's let's spend some time talking on the phone about this new card. So it's not even about the game itself, but. It's more just an excuse to hang out with your friends and talk to your friends and just have shared experiences with your friends. So 
when people ask what I'm most looking forward to about getting back to playing paper play, it's just that, you know, getting back and meeting people, getting back and having an excuse to actually hang out together. Uh, it, it really is just a huge part of my life at this point, and I don't think I could walk away even if I wanted to walk away. So uh, don't worry, guys. We're not going anywhere. Le- Leaving a Legacy has many more years left in it, <laughs> at least as long as uh, things continue the way they are. So the follow-up question, and that was kind of a long uh, <laughs> diatribe about uh, that last question, so I'll, I'll try and keep this one a little bit shorter. But the follow-up question is, is there anything you'll miss about Lockdown Hellworld? Uh, honestly, not too much because I feel a lot of the good stuff uh, that came with Lockdown has carried over uh, into post-life. Uh, you know, I'm still working from home. My boss has kind of come to the realization that, oh, we can get just as much stuff done working from home as we can in the office. So I'm still living the work from home life, which is absolutely sweet. I don't know what these people are thinking about who are demanding to get back into the office and need to get back in the office. I, I, I don't know. No, I just guess our brains work differently from each other, but that is not me. I am in 100% work from home mode now and I absolutely love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. So, uh, if I had to be schlepping back into the office, that would 100% be my answer. Uh, thankfully though, uh, I was able to kind of keep that little aspect of uh, lockdown life with me. So, yeah, I guess I guess we're kind of good there, and you know, I'm ready to get back to, out to things. Going to my first paper F and M in over a year. Uh, it's crazy to say that, uh, but I can't wait to get to uh, gaming, etc. Uh, on Friday, which if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, uh, maybe you'll see me there tonight at Gaming Etc. I'm going to be slinging some paper cards, and I honestly cannot wait. That kind of cleared out our uh, inbox for the questions. So to kind of round off this episode, I did just want to take a look at the top eight deck lists. Uh, for the Legacy Challenge this week, because honestly, there's some spice in here. <laughs> there's some there's some nice stuff. Um, right off the bat, in first place, we have Ozymandias uh, coming in with uh, basically what would have been kind of Snoko uh, control uh, if Oko is still legal, but we still got the shell going, and... Some really cool, interesting cards from Modern Horizons. Um, so cut, rounding off the list, we got two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Narset Parter of Veils, uh, three Endurance, uh, which is a Modern Horizon card. Uh, Endurance has been very, very impressive uh, in Legacy. Um, you know, we kind of pointed out that it was a really good uh, graveyard card. You know, I really liked its stats, so I thought it was going to see, you know, as uh, play as a one of as a Green Sun Zenith target in, uh, you know, Maverick and Aggro Loam and Green Sun Zenith type decks. But we've actually seen Endurance is way better uh, than just that. It's starting to pop up all over the place and least of which is in uh, this uh, kind of snow control list uh, that Oz- Ozymandias is playing and. I think the one thing everyone kind of forgot about how to evaluate endurance when we were looking at the cycle was just as honest to goodness body. At the end of the day, it is a three mana, three, four with flash and reach that alone. Even if the rest of its text was blank, 
that alone is very, very good for these uh, control decks because it's an awesome gotcha answer to Delver of Secrets. Um, you know, Delver, if they miss their first flip, you know, Delver might not even get in on the second turn. And then on the third turn, uh, they swing in with Delver and you just flash in Endurance, block the Delver, eat the Delver's lunch, and now you have a 3-4 that you get to untap and attack with. So Endurance is just a good creature in its own right. And then when you tack on the Graveyard Hate utility... Uh, it just kind of takes it to the next level. So Endurance is quickly being uh, proven to be one of the best uh, of the uh, incarnation cycles, and I think we're going to see a lot of Endurance in the in the you know days and years to come. Uh, so if you haven't picked up your copies of Endurance and you're a green mage, I highly recommend you do so. Uh, rounding out the creature list, though, we got four Ice Fang Quaddle, three Uros. Uh, and then in the Sorcery Suite, we actually have some more Modern Horizon cards, which are pretty sweet. So we got four Ponder, and then three Abundant Harvest. And let me tell you, Abundant Harvest has really, really impressed me uh, when I was playing Limited Modern Horizon. Uh, basically, it's a card I pick you know, above a lot of other stuff if I'm playing green, because it is super useful in just helping you find what you need when you need it. So for people who forget, Abundant Harvest is a sorcery for one green. Choose land or non-land. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. So a couple things with this. This is basically a green can cantrip. This is honestly, Abundant Harvest is probably the best green cantrip that has ever been printed. Uh, and it's f funny to kind of think about it as that because it doesn't really fit the mold of most cantrips. You know, the draw three, put two back, or the look at the top three and then draw one, or then scry, you know, just all sorts of, like, top of your deck manipulation. But Abundant Harvest can be more powerful than any of that in the right decks because you basically get to choose what you want, and then it doesn't matter how many cards it takes to get there, uh, you're going to get it. And by what I what you want, what I mean by that is either gas or more mana. Um, it really helps you keep uh, sketchy opening low mana hands the same way that uh, Brainstorm and Ponder allow you to do. Because if you open a one lander with an Abundant Harvest, well, that Abundant Harvest is basically a land. Uh, also, if you uh, have too many lands and you just need some gas... You can use Abundant Harvest to just clear off the top of your library of land cards and make sure you, that you draw into some you know gas to play. Uh, you can also really take advantage of this by purposely uh, you know milling cards off the top. Well, not milling, but you know getting rid of those cards on the top of your deck. Say you use a Jace activation and you put two lands back, and then you cast Abundant Harvest to name non-land. All of a sudden, you've taken those two lands from the top of your library and put them on the bottom. And that is actually super powerful. So Abundant Harvest, I definitely think, is a card that people slept on during spoilers. But after playing with it in a limited format, I can definitely see how powerful this could be in Legacy. And I really do expect more uh, green mages to adopt Abundant Harvest and use it more often. Uh, because it is a good card, let me tell you. If you haven't had a chance to cast Abundant Harvest yet, do so. 
Then, also rounding out the sorcery list, we have two copies of Prismatic Ending. This card's pretty sweet. Um, it is great removal for these three-color decks. Uh, I guess just to read it off for people, Prismatic Ending, White and X, Converge. Uh, exile target non-land permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast this spell. Um, you know, this honestly kind of feels like a white abrupt decay in a way. Um, you can't really use it on any of the bigger threats, but it's a great catch-all answer uh, for those uh, ca those cards that, um, you know, are annoying to deal with um, that you might not have answers for, you know, particularly enchantments and artifacts. So, uh, you know, it looks like uh, they're choosing this over something like uh, Council's Judgment, and it just kind of makes sense in a deck that can really get it up to the three uh, different colors of mana, which is, which is pretty nice. Um, it also helps just complement the uh, removal suite because this deck is running uh, four swords to plowshares and then two engineered explosives as its removal. And the prismatic ending is kind of a nice uh, addition to the, that suite, bringing you up to eight removal spells that between those eight, you can answer most things that the deck cares about. Um, also, it's running the four brainstorm, four force of will, two force of negation to round out the list, and finally two Sylvan library to help the car, the deck, uh, you know, get some gas. So, all in all, this is a pretty sweet list. Uh, I do like it. Uh, I feel this is a much more enjoyable list to both play against and play than the Oko versions. Um, not having to rely so heavily on Oko, or not even having to rely on it, just being shoehorned into just casting Oko as soon as possible and as often as possible just because of what a powerhouse it is, uh, I really feel lets this deck kind of breathe a little bit and be a much more enjoyable deck to have in the meta. So I am really happy with how this deck's turning out. I am glad to see it is still top-aiding, uh, even though Oko got banned, and I, I just really like what Ozymandias has done with this. This list looks sweet, and uh, I'd probably sleeve this up and play it sometime. Uh, it looks like a ton of fun to play. Uh, up next in second place, we have Sharkcaster Mage uh, playing our old favorite Agrolome. Um, it is a definitely a different version of Agrolome that we've seen in the past. Uh, the deck has evolved quite a bit. Um, you know, it's it's looking very very. Um, you know, similar to Maverick these days, uh, they're getting really hard to distinguish, especially since, uh, this one is leaning more heavily into, uh, the green-white variant. Um, I wouldn't call this at, uh, Maverick, though, just because it's missing some of the other key aspects we usually see in Maverick, such as, uh, you know, Thalia's and Mother of Runes, so it just blurs the lines even more, but... Let's run down this list because it is pretty cool. Uh, we got four Elvish Reclaimer. That card is just absolutely a beast. Basically is a uh, mini Knight of the Reliquary in this list. Uh, speaking of, we have the four Knight of the Reliquary. Uh, so those two, those eight cards together making up the main threat package of both being just a ridiculous beater and also allowing you uh, to tutor up your combo win of Dark Depths and Thespian Stage. Um, that is actually a bigger difference uh, with this kind of 
variation uh, than the traditional, uh, you know, black, green, white uh, kind of aggro loamless is, uh, you know, it is running much more heavily the uh, Dark Depths and uh, Thespian Stage combo, whereas traditionally aggro loam would really only run one copy of Dark Depths and maybe one copy of Thespian Stage. Now this list is running three Dark Depths, uh, four Thespian Stage, going really heavily uh, on it. And actually, speaking of, <laughs> I guess I can't even uh, call this aggro loam anymore because it's missing the titular card of Life from the Loam. Life from the Loam has been cut from the list entirely. So uh, this kind of weird uh, list is this kind of weird list isn't really aggro loam anymore either. It's it's maybe a new list. It's it's getting hard to tell. You know, this this cool kind of green, white, black area of, uh, you know, land-based Night of the Reliquary decks has just kind of blurred the line so much that it's it's not really one deck anymore. It's just kind of good stuff in this general idea jammed together. So maybe we can't really call this deck aggro loam anymore. It's just kind of green, white Night of the Reliquary, I guess. <laughs> I guess we'll go with that. I don't know. If you have a better name for it, let, let me know. Uh, well, we got the four Elvish Reclaimer. We got the four Night of the Reliquary. Uh, we do have one Endurance as a Green Sun Zenith target. Um, this is much more typical of what I was expecting to see Endurance in, is uh, a list like this as a Green Sun Zenith target. Um, so it is good to see that it is uh, popping up and seeing that sort of play as well. Uh, we got one Knight of Autumn, one Ramamap Excavator, and one Sylvan Safekeeper rounding out the creature suite. Uh, the four greens on Zenith, of course. Uh, four crop rotation, four swords to plowshares. Uh, swords allowing it to uh, have its own um, you know, removal suite uh, necessary for kind of clearing the path. Because one thing that I've learned playing Knight of the Reliquary decks is the keyword you always wish Knight of the Reliquary had was trample or some other form of invasion. Uh, there have been way too many games in the past where I've gotten Knight of the Reliquary up to like an 8-8, and it doesn't matter because my opponent just has an army of 1-1 tokens that I can't get through. So, Swords of Plowshares, super useful in this deck to just kind of clear the way. Uh, only three Mox Diamond. Uh, I guess they couldn't find room for the fourth. Um, I don't really agree with that. If, if I'm playing Mox Diamond, I do really want the four Mox Diamonds because... Mox Diamond is most powerful when you play it early, uh, and if you're only running three Mox Diamonds, that's telling me you don't want it in your opening hand, which kind of just goes against the whole point of Mox Diamond for me. Um, the card that they uh, looked like they added in, in that slot instead is uh, one of Retrofitter Foundry, uh, which is just a nice uh, kind of army in a can card. Uh, so Retrofitter Foundry is seen play all over the place. Um, it is just kind of sweet that a card like this uh, was good enough uh, to see Legacy play. It kind of reminds me of the old uh, goat, <laughs> the goats that uh, saw play in kind of the control decks years ago. So nice to see kind of Retrofitter Foundry uh, seeing play in more types of decks. Um, and, uh, you know, interesting cards uh, in the land suite is uh, we got a one of Urza Saga, which is... Yeah, crazy, because this isn't even really an artifact deck. You know, we got the Mox Diamonds, and we got the uh, Retrofitter Foundries to uh, pump out a bunch of tokens, but 
Even so, Urza Saga is still such a powerful card that even a non-artifact based deck is willing to play it uh, just because of how powerful it is, uh, you know, how much advantage it generates, and it does allow you to kind of tutor up those Mox Diamonds and Retrofitter Foundries. Um, we also got three Yamavaya Cradle of Growth, um, allowing this deck to really access its uh, green mana options. Uh, so is probably what is power, you know, dictating the choices uh, of this deck to be much more green focused. It feels like. Uh, so yeah, all in all, pretty sweet list. Uh, I like it. It, I, I guess it is just kind of a new version. Um, it reminded me a lot of Agro Loam, but of course it's missing. Uh, the titular card of Life from the Loam, uh, also cutting, uh, you know, the black uh, that Aggro Loam likes to play uh, for its removal and uh, kind of discard, and being much more focused on a, a green-white, you know, Knight of the Reliquary-style deck. Uh, not really Maverick, not really Lands, not really Aggro Loam. We just kind of have a new variation popping up out of it. So, uh, definitely a cool list. Hope to see more of that in the future. Uh, up next, in third late, uh, place, we got uh, Echo Baronin uh, running, oh man, running some Hogak, but the reason why I say oh man is because it's the Hedron Crab version, which is uh, the version I really like and the one I'm actually super interested to see what makes use of the new D&D card. Um, I, I feel like Mill might finally have a, sh a chance to shine, not just as a, a self-mill uh, deck, like this uh, Hedron Crab Hogak uh, deck, uh, but as a own, you know, uh, new style of deck that we'll see. So uh, I do like uh, seeing Hedron Crab top eight a legacy challenge right before the, uh, you know, new... Dungeons and Dragons uh, mill card uh, gets printed. So hopefully people pick up their copies of Hedron Crab uh, because I'm I'm excited to see what this this card can do in the in the you know next year. But taking a look at the list itself, um, besides that, looks like a fairly uh, stock uh, list. Uh, other than you know it's running the four altar dementia. Uh, we see a lot of Hogak decks kind of skip the Ultra Dementia uh, combo, but this one's kind of just going full, full combo, uh, you know, with the Vendrines and the Stitcher Suppliers and the Ultra Dementia and Hogak. Uh, all in all, uh, you know, pretty tight list. Uh, looks looks pretty stock, but definitely not a version of the deck we've seen pop up in the top eights in, the, in a while. So good to see that this version of the deck is still, uh, you know, a contender and can still put up top eight results. Uh, especially because it's got my little buddy Hedron Crab in it. Uh, fourth place, taking a look here, uh, looks like we have uh, Red Stompy. Uh, Red Stompy running some, uh, looks like Strixhaven cards as well. So this is a new card, uh, Fireflux Squad, running full four copies of it. It's three and a red for a 4-3 with haste. Whenever Fireflux Squad attacks, you may exile another target attacking creature you control. If you do, reveal a card from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield tapped and attacking and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. Uh, you know, basically you're just doubling your manpower when you play this card. Uh, 
looks like another cool addition. I mean, Mono Red Stompy uh, has no shortage of, you know, three and four drop uh, creatures to throw out there. So at this point, it's just kind of personal preference, but uh, that one definitely does seem good. It uh, it plays really well with the Goblin Rabble Master. Uh, you know, you play Goblin Rabble Master out first. Goblin Rabble Master uh, makes a 1-1 red goblin creature token, and then you use Fire Flux Squad to exile the token uh, to get something else like, uh, you know, Handweir Garrison uh, or Legion War Boss uh, or, you know, Magus of the Moon. So... Um, you know, lots of kind of token productions. The Handware Garrison also makes, uh, 1-1 tokens that you can exile with Fireflux Squad. So, this is kind of an interesting thing. It, it, it's interesting seeing a little bit more synergy from the Mono Red Stompy, uh, Creature Suite. Previously, the Mono Red Creature Suite, uh, Mono Red Creature Suite was mostly just, you know, cards like Simeon Spirit Guide and Magus of the Moon that shut down their opponents, and then just cards that got their opponents dead as quickly as possible. Now we're actually seeing a bit of a synergy between the the creature suite with uh, token producers and then Fireflux Squad to take advantage of those token producers that uh, you know really makes the deck uh, really explosive and pull away in those situations where it might not be able to. One thing that kind of worries me about that though is a big weakness of mono red uh, Stompy has always been that if you can answer their first couple effective threats they run out of gas real quickly so what i'm afraid of is you know their opponent answering the goblin rabble master or the Handweird garrison and now fireflux squad is basically just a 4-3 vanilla creature because you know the mono red prison deck uh can't generate any other creatures to exile to you know keep the train rolling so that's another risk that kind of makes this deck a little bit more um you know susceptible to that line of play now, <laughs> oh man, this this almost pains me. It it really does. It really does because someone went and put Ragavan in Sneak and Show. Uh, pretty kind of standard list. Otherwise, we got the three Emrakul, four Grizzlebrands, Ponders, Preordained, Show and Tells, Brainstorms, Force of Wills, um, Lotus Petals, and Sneak Attack. This list is running days. Uh, which does make more sense with Ragavan. You do want the Days to protect the Ragavan. I'm not the biggest fan of Days in Sneak and Show uh, because you kind of outpace it a lot. And then there's also just lots of times where you go, you know, Ancient Tomb, Lotus Petal, and that Days is just a dead card in your hand. Uh, but, I mean, it, it seems to have worked. It, you know, made fifth place. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play this version of the list myself, but I think I will fire up a League. And give Ragavan a try. Actually cast some Ragavan and, and see if it is as uh, you know bad as I feel it is. Uh, so I'm going to hold off on, on passing judgment on this until I actually give it a try myself. But it is cool to see uh, Sneak and Show in the top eight, even if it is with my nemesis Ragavan in the list. So kudos to Raton for uh, top eighting with my favorite deck. Uh, and I guess I'll try Ragavan out and see how it is. Uh, and in sixth place, of course, we can't go, uh, too long without seeing a blue-red Delver list. Um, only one blue-red blue Delver list in the top eight, uh, this week, which is, uh, much more manageable. It's way down. I know people were really worried last week when, you know, blue-red Delver put up a ton of results in the top eight, but it's the new format. Blue-red Delver's always going to do really well in the new format. It makes sense. 
and uh, taking a look here, does look like uh, this blue red Delver list is the same as the uh, list we were taking a look at last week. Though I do want to point out they are running two Fort Bolt, which is something that we discussed on the cast last week. Uh, that Fort Bolt is just going to be really good for the blue red Delver mirror matches going forward. Um, so that's it. We kind of took a lot, talked a lot about. Uh, Blue Red Delver last week, so I don't want to go too much into it this week. Uh, in seventh place, we have Testacular with Elves. Always good to see uh, Elves uh, seeing some play and making top eight. Uh, it's a good deck to have in the have in the format. And uh, the interesting addition to it now is uh, the Grist, the Hunger Tide. Uh, that is the black-green planeswalker that counts as a creature in your deck, so it can be, uh, you know, natural order, green sun zenith, you know, all sorts of good stuff. So, a uh, nice little addition to elves. Not that elves really needed it, I feel. Elves is in a pretty powerful place ever since uh, Allosaurus Shepherd got printed, but just one more tool for the toolbox of elves, and seeing a top eight is uh, is pretty cool. And finally, rounding out the top eight, we have an eighth place, good old Bant food chain. I haven't seen a food chain list top eight in a long time, so I am really happy to see this list uh, see uh, see play. Um, taking a look, it doesn't really have any new additions. It looks like. Um, yeah, it's pretty much the same list you would be pretty much see. Uh, you know, back when Food Chain was putting up uh, numbers, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we got, and I guess I should, it's been a while, so I should probably just explain how the uh, Food Chain combo works. So it's based around Food Chain, which is a Mercadian Mass enchantment for two and a green, and it says remove a creature you control from the game, add an X mana of any color to your mana pool, where X is the removed creature's converted mana cost, plus one. That's key. This mana can only be spent to cast creature spells. Now, why that's important is there exists a card called Mist Hollow Griffin, which is two blue blue for a 3-3 three, three flying. You may cast Mist Hollow Griffin from exile. That's huge because basically Mist Hollow Griffin plus food chain equals infinite mana in that you cast Mist Hollow Griffin from exile you exile it with food chain and make five mana. You then spend four of that mana to cast Mist Hollow Griffin, netting you one mana that has to be spent on creature spells, but does add up to infinite mana. Uh, you then use that infinite mana to cast a massive walking ballista and ping your opponent in the face for infinite damage. Uh, all in all, pretty sweet car uh, combo. Problem being, uh, it's a bit clunky and slow. You know, Food Chain is a three-mana enchantment, and then Mist Hollow Griffin is a four-mana spell that you still need to cast uh, at least once in order to exile it with Food Chain. Also, as always, being a creature-based combo, that's always a risky proposition, uh, just because it opens you up to removal, and you could have your combo uh, interrupted with a well-placed removal spell from your opponent. Has to be the right removal spell, though. Uh, it's actually interesting in this case. Um, 
the swords to plowshares option is actually a worse <laughs> choice to use against food chain because Mistalo Griffin can be cast from exile. Uh, you much would rather have it uh, be a you know a damage based removal like lightning bolt so that it goes to the graveyard. And that was actually the last time we saw food chain kind of see widespread play was when Deathrite Shaman was legal because. Even if you killed the Mist Hollow Griffin and sent it to the graveyard, you could then use your Deathrite Shaman to eat the Mist Hollow Griffin, gain two life, and send the Mist Hollow Griffin back to exile where you can cast it again. During the Deathrite Shaman days, it was very, very difficult to actually keep the food chain combo dead if they had all the pieces together. It took them a while to assemble it, but once they assembled it, it was very resilient. Now... Uh, without Deathrite Shaman, uh, it's a little uh, weaker to that line of play. But at the same time, we do have Uro, which uh, allows you to exile the Mist Holographins, even though that itself is a bit clunky itself because Uro costs uh, four to escape, then four to cast Mist Holographin. You're probably not doing that in the same turn. Not as uh, you know efficient as Deathrite Shaman, but hey, we'll take it. It's good to see uh, Food Chain top aiding again uh, it's always been kind of a pet deck of mine i love my food chain copies and I, it's always cool seeing the deck do well because it gives me hope that i can sleeve it up and uh, have some fun with it again because it is a deck that is near and dear to my heart um now before we kind of wrap this uh this uh episode up i do just want to take a look at the spice uh that kind of popped up in the top 32 uh in 14th place we have good old stacks. 20, 21 people, and people are playing Smokestack. Have not seen a list like this in over 10 years. Uh, super sweet to see uh, it kind of make a little bit of comeback, but uh, we got four Karn the Great Creator, four Lodestone Golem, four Chalice of the Void, three Crucible of Worlds, three Ensnaring Bridge, four Mox Diamond, one smokestacks, uh, four sphere of resistance, and four tangle wire. This was the OG prison deck. You know, even before death and taxes existed, stacks was the dreaded deck to play against that just shut the board down. Tangle wire and smokestack do a ton of work, coupled with chalice of the void. Uh, and Sphere of Resistance, you're just not casting anything. Oh, and and it's running two Tabernacle in the land suite. Two Tabernacle main deck. That is dirty. Absolutely dirty. Uh, super sweet to see this list make a comeback. Uh, I hope it is the start of a trend and we see some more stacks lists on the horizon. Uh, that is just absolutely super cool. Um, taking a up net look next in 19th place, uh, we have, uh, good old, uh, Bant, uh, Prismatic Miracles is what it's being called. Um, just kind of a sweet list. Uh, we have three Jace, one Narset, two Teferi, two Endurance, three Uro. So seeing those creatures coming back, that's, you know, very similar to, the kind of uh, snow control list that uh, we took a look in first place. Uh, but where it starts uh, going uh, a little bit different is in 
uh, the rest of the deck. Uh, we've got the three prismatic ending, three terminus, four ponder, four brainstorm, two force negation, four force of will, three growth spiral, which is a Strixhaven card, I believe. Uh, green and a blue instant draw card. You may know, put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, four sorts of plowshares and one Sylvan library. Uh, and then also interesting in the mana suite, it's running a field of the dead as another win condition. Uh, so this is a kind of a sweet list, kind of variation on the first place list, uh, kind of taking advantage of a little bit more synergies, a little bit more of land focused. So just another kind of sweet, uh, you know, three color control deck that we see popping up uh, that also is, you know, taking advantage of the you know prismatic ending that we mentioned previously. Um, other than that, I also wanted to take a look at the 26th place list, which is, uh, Unholy Delver. So, we have, uh, one Brazen Borrower, four Delver of Secrets, four Dragon Rage Channeler, three Merktide Regent, four Expressive Iteration, four Ponder, uh, four Brainstorm, four Days, two Force Negation, four Force Will, four Lightning Bolt. Pretty typical blue-red Delver list so far, right? Well, <laughs> then we have Unholy Heat. <laughs> Unholy Heat is a uh, another Modern Horizons 2 card. It's one red for an instant. Unholy Heat deals two damage to target creature or Planeswalker. Delirium. Unholy Heat deals six damage instead if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. So that is a really potential great removal spell. Uh, it's pretty easy, uh, oh, I don't want to say easy, it's not easy, but in Legacy, Delirium, uh, is obtainable, I will call it that. It is obtainable to have Delirium in Legacy, especially when the deck is running Mishra's Bobble to give it that artifact option, but if you do have Delirium, six damage to a creature or Planeswalker for one red is pretty damn good, especially that deal six damage to a Planeswalker option. Um, a lot of times, uh, the three damage of Lightning Bolt just isn't enough to finish off uh, a um, Planeswalker that you really need to get rid of. And I almost wonder if Unholy Heat was <laughs> was designed as an answer to Oko before Oko got banned. Uh, that that six damage right off the bat is super powerful, and it would be really useful to get rid of Oko's back in the day. But... That's just kind of a cool addition to the Blue-Red Delver list that we uh, took a look at. So that kind of rounds off the Legacy Challenge. Uh, thanks for sticking with me this week, guys. hope I didn't ramble too much and you're not all sick of me. Check out the Facebook group. Uh, send us some more questions. We cleaned out the mailbag, so be sure to send us some more questions so we can do another mailbag episode in the future. I uh, hope you guys all had fun, and I will see you all next week. Come on down